we anticipate next Sunday we continue in that process. Welcome again, but a special welcome to two returning deployed Marines. We have Tony Clement, Jacob Cartier. Thank you for your service, your time away from your family, and we're grateful that you are back with us. Excited to see what the Lord will do when you are reunited with your families, and yeah, it's, it's all good stuff. So, happy Treehouse Day as well. It's a big Sunday. You all got name tags on. Treehouse folks are in here with us, so um, welcome specifically to you. If you're in the Treehouse, raise your hand. How many are we out in here? One, two, three. Okay. How many of you want to be in the Treehouse? A couple more of you. <clears throat> I want to be in the Treehouse. It sounds amazing, <clears throat> but... So by way of reminder, we are in this series, More Like Him, and we've been walking through and asking a couple of questions. <clears throat> We're looking to the Bible to discover, first of all, what is the fruit of the Spirit? What does it look like in the life of Jesus, and how do we bear that fruit in our own lives? So that's kind of what we're trying to discover through this series. Why? Because our desire, at least it should be, is to become more like Him and less like our old self, right? We desire to cultivate our hearts and grow in, in such ways that we actually begin to bear this fruit that we're talking about. It's not just for something to talk about or like, hey man, check out that fruit of the Spirit. It's pretty cool over there on that person. It's like, no, our desire is to cultivate that as well. And so we do this by knowing who Jesus is, abiding in Him, trusting in Him in these kinds of things. And we want to seek to embrace the fact that we are new creations in Christ Jesus. Did you know that? Yes. Just making sure you're tracking with me. New creations in Christ Jesus. New desires, new passions, new everything. Right? And all for our good and for His glory. So practically speaking, we talked that there are, there are nine characteristics or attributes or things that are described as fruit of the Spirit, and we want to have lives that are marked by these things. And so what have we covered so far? We've covered love and what else? Joy, gentleness, and kindness, right? That's only four. And today, we are on self-control. Yeah, we're just jumping straight to the end of the list. We figure it's December, <clears throat> things are about to get crazy, we need to ramp up our self-control talk. Not really. There's no rhyme or reason necessarily for us to, on this front end. We, we kind of reserve some of the other fruits of the Spirit as we see the Christmas season drawing near. Um, peace and patience and those kinds of things. But I want to look at the fruit of the Spirit as expressed in self-control this morning. And so before we do that, I definitely need to pray. And I think we all need to just get our hearts focused, and dive into this. So let's pray. Father, we do thank you for another day of life. Lord, we thank you for this first Sunday of Advent as we look and anticipate a celebration of the birth of our Savior, the Savior of the world, the promised Messiah. God, I just ask that as, as we sit here this morning, Lord God, and as we listen to your word and the teaching from your word, God, that you would shape us, guide our hearts, Lord God, Plow up in us, Lord God, our hearts. Cultivate us that we might bear much fruit as we seek to know you more deeply, more intimately, God, your character and who you are as described in your word. 
God, help us as we try to be honest with our own lives, Lord God, and what we see as struggles in our lives as it comes to self-control. And I pray, Lord, that you'd illuminate from your word why we struggle and what we can do to walk in victory in this area. So, God, give us the grace and mercy this morning to do that, I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Questions this morning um, as a way of interacting. If you have any, you can text them to the number on the screen, also the number in your bulletin. All right. How many of you, just, just let's start out all cards on the table, face up. How many of you right now have ever struggled with self-control? Put your hands up in the air. Okay, so there's a few of you that could just leave now, I guess, because um, <clears throat> you didn't raise your hand. Well, maybe it'll be a benefit to somebody else that struggles with self-control. You can explain in greater detail. So what is it? What is self-control? Well, we read it when we looked at Galatians 5, 22 and 23. As it's used in that passage, it describes the virtue of a person who masters their own desires and passions, especially their sensual appetites. That's in Galatians 5. It's used in other New Testament settings as well, and it kind of carries a similar meaning, but it expands it, and it says, to exhibit self-government, conduct oneself temperately, and it's actually a figure that's drawn from athletes who are preparing for competition, they're preparing for the games, right? And they withhold from themselves, they abstain from unwholesome food, wine, and indulgences. So, self-control, as described in the scriptures as a whole, can be looked at this way. Having the inner strength of character which empowers us to control our passions and desires, as well as be able to exercise sound judgment when it comes to our thoughts, emotions, actions, and decisions. And I like this. The ability not only to distinguish between good and bad, but also between better and best. So, how many of you think that sounds like something we can't do on our own? It is. Let's be real honest with ourselves here, and maybe we can get a better response. This is about as difficult as it gets for the Christian. This, what we're talking about today, is about as tough as it gets. Why? Because practically speaking, what this looks like is controlling our physical actions, our appetites, our desires, our thoughts, our emotions, and our speech. Probably a couple of those were checking boxes as we go, right? Like, oh, yeah, oh, struggle with that, struggle with that, yeah. Everyone that has ever walked this planet has struggled with this, Christian or not, because it's a challenge. So let's dig into this thing, see what we can find. We see a real aspect of restraint, of, of holding back from giving in to the temptation to do something that we should not do. The other side of that coin is kind of the same thing. It's restraining our flesh, like putting away those desires so that we can do the things that we ought to do. So you see there's kind of two sides of this coin, but both are involving restraint, holding back. Galatians is kind of where we're going to camp for a minute. Galatians tells us that there is a battle going on inside of us. It's a battle for control actually, if you look at it deeperly. Let's look at um, Galatians 5, 
And we're going to read 16 and 17. But I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And we describe the flesh as not just like the, the skin on your body, but it's all of those things, those emotions, your thoughts, all of that is encompassed in the flesh. And so there's absolutely a battle for control going on. And so we have to constantly decide if we're going to put into place those tools that God has given us to see the fruit of the Spirit as self-control in us. So have you ever thought about the idea that this battle between flesh and spirit is actually a good thing? Why would that be a good thing? Because the spirit is in you, right? There's a battle going on, but the battles because the spirit is alive in you. That means you're a Christian. It means you've been redeemed. It means the Holy Spirit lives in you. That's a good thing. If there's no battle going on inside of you, there's a problem. So we can actually look at this in kind of a, well, I guess that's, that's a good thing. It is a good thing. It's not a good thing that we fail and we, we, we give in to the desires, but it's a good thing that there's a battle going on because it does reveal to us that we are redeemed and we are saved. So this whole idea probably isn't news to any of you. Maybe you've not heard it described as a battle between what you want and a battle between what the Lord wants, but in a very fundamental way, that's what's going on inside each one of us every single day. Also, not a surprise to, to the Lord, right? And not an accident. Not an accident at all. Ed Welch reminds us of this. He says, as the Hebrews were promised the land, given the promised land, right? They were promised that land. This is yours. But had to take it by force, one town at a time. So we are promised the gift of self-control, yet we must take it by force. We're in a battle. And I think we, we kind of dismiss that sometimes. We think, oh yeah, spiritual warfare, whatever. There is a battle raging on inside of us against what we want, our flesh, our old ways, and what the Spirit wants. And in warfare, you got to go into battle, equipped and prepared, ready to take by force what you're after. That's what we're talking about here. I love that example because God gives us everything that we need to live lives that produce the fruit of the Spirit. And it allows us to do the thing God desires for us to do. But we got to go after it. we got to take it. So like with anything worth having, we have to ask the question, how? How do we do this? We, we see clearly we need to. How? Well, first thing we got to recognize and acknowledge is that exercising, exercising self-control is actually the key to growing in godliness. Man, I think all of us can attest to how this is kind of the gateway to so many other ways in which we fall short or in, in ways in which we honor the Lord through our submission to Him. The road that, that we get on to start this whole process 
is with recognizing areas of our life where we are deficient. Where are we weak in these areas of self-control? Where in our lives, if we had more self-control, would our lives actually be a better picture of the Scriptures? It's a different way of asking the same question, but we need to assess honestly where we are in these things so we can put purpose behind what we're struggling in. Is it the words that come out of your mouth when they shouldn't? Perhaps. Is it your eyes wandering and looking at things that they shouldn't? Perhaps. Is it your temper getting the best of you? Maybe it's even the thoughts about your teacher and how maybe you wish something not nice would happen to them because they're just mean. Right? I mean, come on, let's be real. Fill in the blank, though, right, for any number of things that are in that category of where we fall short. We've got plenty of them. We don't need to spend the morning describing them anymore. But I think the greater help today would be understanding why we struggle so much with self-control. Because we're in agreement. We struggle. Why? And I think the why will get us to the how. Okay? So one of them we've covered already from Galatians. There's a strong opposing force that will go to great lengths to ensure that we give up on self-control and give in to the desires of our flesh. Even if just for a moment, that's all it takes just a moment, right? You've been there. You're battling. You've got this thing going on in your head, and you're like, you can feel yourself going down this path. You're like, no, no, I, I don't want to do that. And you just keep looking at it. You keep getting closer, right? But you're holding back. It's almost like you feel like you're being dragged that way sometimes, right? And then you let your guard down for an instant, and then boom, there it is. You're like, all that work. Like, I was fighting so hard. <laughs> all it takes is an instant, right? Boom gratify the desires of the flesh. It can be so frustrating, right? I'm the only one? Okay. Or all of you are just like, man, sitting with that idea of being dragged by your flesh. The flesh is strong. <laughs> it's powerful. But there's more to it than that. Let's look at uh, Luke chapter 9. Roll over to Luke chapter 9, verse 23. We're going to build off of this for the rest of the, the morning. Luke 9, 23, and he said to all, this is Jesus speaking, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So here's Jesus getting right to the heart of the matter, like he's not holding, pulling any punches, right? He says that if you want to be his disciple, you've got to do three things, deny yourself, Take up your cross daily and follow him. So these things are exceptionally challenging. But they're also key factors in how self-control plays out in our lives. So let's begin with that first one, denying yourself. And I think maybe a way of making sense of this is to put ourselves in a position when it's actually easy for us to give in to self-seeking desires and thoughts. I know for me... It's when I, when I downplay or dismiss or even ignore the behavior that I'm participating in as if to say it's not really that big a deal, right? 
yeah, I know I'm doing this, I know it's wrong, but somehow I convince myself it's not really what it is, or it's not as bad as it looks, or maybe even it's not as bad as that person over there, right? I have these mental gymnastics going on up here where I'm finding a way to justify my behavior because if it's not a problem, then I don't need to deny myself of it because it's not really an issue. You see how we kind of made a loophole in that process? Some of us are pretty good at that, right? Sort of an ignorance is bliss kind of thing. I call it selective blindness because we know it's there, yet we choose to bypass what the Lord has given us in this process. But to deny yourselves as Jesus taught and live out is actually to renounce our own will, like just straight up dropping <laughs> our own will. Literally means to set down our old lives and pick up our new life, our new identity in Christ. And I think some people think of that as kind of oppressive or like controlling of God, like how dare you demand I set down my own life. But what are we setting down? The broken sin-loving, self-focused side of us. You see, it's actually for our good that we deny ourselves. It doesn't make sense to the world. You're like, no, this is all about us, right? We should be doing everything we can to collect all that we have and, and enjoy it and all those kinds of things. But denying ourselves is for our good. And as a result, God gets the glory he gets the credit because he's the one working in us once we choose to set down that old thing and take on our new identity in Christ. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.17. This is about as clear as it can get. Maybe. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's, that's truth right there. That, that's it. The old has passed away, the new has come. However, we're a, we play a role in this process. There's a setting down and a picking up that belongs to us. So let's do, a, let's do a, an illustration because some people are, are liking illustrations. Come on up here, Taryn. I'm going to do a little illustration with a treehouse person. Do you like sports? Good. Hold on to that for me. Just hold on to that. You like that ball, right? That ball is you. It's, it represents your life, your, your will, the things that you want for you. And you're just going to hold on to that thing, right? Because it's what you like. All the things, good, bad, all of it, it's, it's you. You hold on to that thing pretty tight because you like it. We all like us. That, that's clear, right? So the illustration then is, if that represents you and your life and your will and what you want, then this right here represents God's will for your life, represents what he wants for you. Now, do you want this? Because this is way shinier. <laughs> it's wrapped. It's pretty. But here's the deal. If you want this, and I'm going I'm to throw it at you and you're going to catch it. Okay? You sure? All right, let's see what happens. Oh. 
What did you do? You dropped your old self on the ground, right? <laughs> you put on your new self. That's what I'm talking about. Let's give him a hand. You don't get to keep this. But that's what it looks like, right? We literally have to set it down in order. You can't hold them both at the same time. You can try, and you will be miserable, and you will fail over and over again. But that's what it looks like, of putting on the new. Look at Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Man, what we're setting down is, why are we even holding on to that stuff? Because it's comfortable, and it feels good, and we like to be in that sinful, gratifying, the desires of our flesh kind of thing. But it's an action step, and it's a decision point. When we talk about denying ourselves, we have to. It's actually letting go of the control you think you have and trusting the Lord to grant you the strength and the power to deny yourself. It's ours, just like the promised land, but we've got to take it, right? It's like trying to fight with holding that ball. How are you going to fight the flesh as you're holding on to that thing? You can't. You've got to set it down to be able to pick up some sort of offensive weapon in the battle. So next, Jesus tells us to take up our cross daily. So in that day, the cross was not only a symbol of, of pain and punishment and torture, but more importantly, is a symbol of death. Like back in that day, people would not like walk around with crosses on their necks. No more than we would walk around with like a, a gold electric chair hanging around our, right? I mean, that's, that would be the equivalent back then, right? It means something different for us now, but they just wouldn't do that. It represented death. It was not a good thing. And so when Jesus makes this statement, he's, he's kind of calling for a certain bit of commitment. Total and complete. That's what we're talking about here. Not only to deny ourselves, but to die to ourselves. So he's taking it to the next level. When you think about, oh, I'll take out my cross, sure. That's what that represents. Dying to ourselves, putting to death our desires, our plans, in order to live out his better plan. And so ultimately, this is what it takes to bear the fruit of self-control. I'm tying this all back, I promise you. We're talking about self-control here. We are. But this is the why it's so hard, because these are not easy things to do. They're not. But if we trust in Christ alone for our salvation, which we do, why do we often trust ourselves for things that only the Lord can, himself can do in other areas of our lives? Oh, I got this. I'm good. I can handle this situation at work. I can handle this job situation, this school situation, my marriage, my children. I, I got it. Really? Do you? 
He's the one that cultivates our hearts. He's the one that does the heavy lifting. And he's the one that produces godly characteristics within us. And so we must die to ourselves and deny the flesh and all the things in us that we want to do. But check this out. This is not an abandonment of who we are entirely. Like, hey, you just got to be somebody completely different. Take off everything. Like, there's not even a, your own tendencies or personality. Like, oh, that's not exactly what we're talking about here. So if we allow God to shape and define our worth, we are free to empty ourselves without fear of losing ourselves, right? You're still you. You're still what makes you, your personality, your sense of humor, like all those kinds of things. That's not what we're talking about here. We're not robots. Like you take this thing off and all of a sudden you're something completely new. Your value comes from the Lord, not from what you bring to the table. So it doesn't really matter in, in, the, in the long run. But God, He treasures your divinely created self. He made you the way you are on purpose. He doesn't want you to set that down. We're setting down something specific, right? right? Putting off of the old and putting on the new. It's the best of both worlds. So he doesn't want to completely destroy the part of you that makes you uniquely you. But he works within you and reshapes you into the person who's renewed in Christ and that you're meant to be. So just keep that in mind as we walk through this process. So the third thing, the last thing he tells us is to follow him. And so if you're reading this in the original language, which you're probably not, <clears throat> you would see the verb tense telling us that this is ongoing, a regular daily following. It's not a one-time decision like, oh, I'm going to follow Jesus, and then you live your life however you want. This is an ongoing, regular, continual thing. Following his example, his word, and putting into practice the things that he taught. So, I mean, there are many ways to do this. But all of them requires us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Some of you might have been here when we went through James, but James camps on this. He's like, listen, if you just hear what the word says and you don't do anything with that, it's pointless. There's no point in any of that at all. You need to listen, hear, and then do what it is that we're supposed to be doing. You cannot be hearers only and expect to demonstrate self-control in your life. It's just, it just doesn't work that way. Follow Jesus in how he prayed and how he loved others, how he served others, how he knew the word. Right? All these ways are practical examples. How he sought the will of the Father. These are all great ways that we can follow after Christ and his example. And, and so with all of this, now we should be acutely aware <laughs> of why we consistently exercising self-control is so challenging. Because these are, these are a big ask that the Lord has for us, right? Denying ourselves, taking up our cross, following after Him. Man, that's much is required of us. Right? There's a section in the Scriptures that talk about counting the cost. Right? Anybody know where that is? Anybody? Counting the cost of being a disciple of Christ. Anybody ever read that in the Bible? Yeah? Anybody know where it is? No? Okay. Well, I'm not going to tell you. 
but you need to go look it up because it comes at a cost. It gives the example of if you're going to build a project, right? You're not just going to start in on it without counting the cost of the building materials and know, okay, I need this for that, and, and then, then go to work. Otherwise, you're going to get into it. You're going to build half of this thing. You're going to run out of money. You'll be like, oh, well, now I got nothing, and I wasted all this money. You're going to count the cost before you endeavor in something like that. Well, there is a cost in being a disciple of Christ, and that cost is denying yourself, taking up your cross daily, and following him. These are the things, the steps, the how-to of developing self-control. It's through the Spirit, right? The Spirit does it. <laughs> but we have to have this posture of surrender, of denial, in order to be consistent and faithful. But they're not an option. And here comes a clue. Look at Luke 14, 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be a disciple. So if you have a Bible, leave that up there. And you're looking at that text, you might notice a caption head that says something about something we talked about earlier. Anybody see that? Counting the, does it say something about counting the cost? Oh, it's in Luke. It's in Luke 14. 20, 28. Okay, so there it is. Did the work for you to a certain degree. But preceding that, he says, this is not an option. If you want to be my disciples, this is what you do. And as I mentioned earlier, man, come all the way back to the, the fact that this is a struggle. This is challenging. And one of those reasons being that we've got this battle going on. But that's a good thing. It's a good sign for us. It's good news. It means we've trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. We've been made new by faith in Christ. And the Spirit of God is at work in us, and thank God for that. It's also good news for us because no matter how much we struggle, God's grace is sufficient. Right? This is not meant to like beat us up and start going through this you know, process of, man, I failed here, I failed here, I failed here, I feel. So balance self-assessment, right, with condemnation. <laughs> like, we got to know where our weak spots are so we can address them, but we don't stay there. We recognize that God's grace is sufficient to sustain us through that, to forgive us, and to make us more like Him. Ultimately, that's the goal for Him and for us. But it takes work. It takes, it takes effort. And so if, if you're thinking about ways in which you can implement this into your weeks coming up, looking into plenty of opportunities to express self-control over the next 24 days, right? The busiest, most stressful, challenging time of the year, perhaps. Lots of opportunities to do this. One is assess. Assess the areas in our lives, in our emotions, our desires, our thoughts, our actions. Where do we struggle the most? What are the things that trigger us into a trained response? So let's start there. And then recognizing that ultimately, in order to position ourselves for the Spirit to work in us and cultivate this fruit, we got to deny 
We gotta, we gotta set it down. Consciously say, okay, I am really not good at being patient with this person at work. I'm literally gonna take that off to take up something else. It's a conscious decision that you need to make. Sometimes you have to do it like that in pieces. It's hard to say, here's all my junk. I'm just going to set it all down at once, and I'm going to pick up this new thing, and now everything's going to be good. Sometimes it's just one thing at a time. Right? The alligator closest to the boat, if you use that little example. Right? What's right there? What's really consistently tripping me up and causing me to satisfy the desires of my flesh by saying whatever I want and by doing whatever I want? That, okay, get it out of here. Cut it off and replace it with the Holy Spirit's work in your life. This is done not in isolation. It's done in community. That's why we push so hard for people to be in life groups and to be in discipleship groups, because that's where these things are played out. Because it's not something you want to be alone in your fighting hole with. Right? You need people on every side of you to help you in this process, because it's hard but we have all that we need to walk in victory and to produce the fruit of the Spirit through the Holy Spirit work in us. So God's grace is more than enough. Amen? That's what I want to leave us on is because it can get kind of heavy pretty quick when we start doing some evaluation of our lives. But God's grace is sufficient. He loves us, and He's given us all that we need to see fruit and victory in these areas. Amen? Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much <clears throat> that you do love us the way in which you do. That you have given us the Holy Spirit to shape us, to mold us into your image, to guide us, to, to prune us, and do what needs to be done in order for us to produce the fruit of the Spirit. God, we just want to be available. Lord God, we want to recognize that you have given us a new identity in Christ. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Praise God. But Lord, we do struggle. We do struggle with going back to our old ways and we know that every day that we're on this planet we will fall short of your glory but we continue to run to the cross because your word says that when we fall short God you're right there to pick us back up to forgive us cleanse us of all unrighteousness and get our focus back on you Lord my prayer this morning is that we trust in you more than we trust in ourselves to see that the denying of our own plans, desires and purposes is necessary dying to that old way of living is necessary and following after you is what we're called to do but Lord we need your help and we need the people around us Give us the strength and the wisdom and the courage to do all these things consistently and faithfully, trusting you every step of the way. God, I'm so grateful for this community of believers who have consistently demonstrated a desire to be known 
in community and to know the significance and importance of living lives on purpose for your namesake, for our good and for your glory. Bless us, we pray, in the mighty name of Christ Jesus. Amen.